Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Your copy of God's Word this morning. You'll turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. The book of Matthew chapter 5. I want to read a few verses of Scripture this morning. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 5. For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be in a, a small series, um, and I want to, I've titled it Salt Life, and, um, and I'll tell you why in, the more, in a minute, but um, in Matthew chapter 5, and beginning in verse 1, and seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, For they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets they were that who were before you. In verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let us pray for just a moment. Father, I just pray this morning that God, that for a few minutes, God, that your presence would open our hearts and speak to us this morning in a powerful way. Lord, I've sought you and prayed this morning. I believe, God, you have given me a word for this house this morning. And I pray, God, that you allow me to communicate it as you have given it to me. We pray, God, that when we leave today, that we'll know that you have spoken to us in a very powerful, powerful way. May your blessing be upon your word and upon the reading of your word. May it not return void this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, stay salty. (laughs) Stay salty. (laughs) Stay salty this morning. You know, uh, back in October, um, we we were on vacation in Florida and Panama City Beach, and there was a number of 
t-shirt stores, as there always is. And, um, and we walked into a few of them, and um, when we walked into one, uh, there was a t-shirt. Um, it was a store. It was called Salt Life was the name. How many of you have ever been in a Salt Life t-shirt store in Florida? I think they're all over everywhere. And uh, as I walked in, I began to see all of these t-shirts that had Salt Life on it. My favorite one said, stay salty. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty ironic. But as I left that t-shirt store, all those hats and hoodies and all the, all the things that you could buy, I could not get that out of my spirit. Immediately, immediately, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart about the Scripture in Matthew chapter 5. Particularly verse 13, it said, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under by men. And I thought to myself, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. It was in a convicting way. And uh, he said, if you really want to win a city, you need to have a salt life. You need to be a church of salt and light. And he said, always stay salty. That's what the Spirit of the Lord spoke to my heart. Because it says, ye are the salt of the earth. And if salt loses its flavor, the scripture tells us this. It says it's two things. It's one, it's good for nothing, and it will be trampled under the foot of men. How can it be salty again? The word flavor there in the Greek, it's an interesting word. It means to be foolish, to make flat or tasteless. That's what the word flavor means. And... Uh, uh, if it loses its flavor, if you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, in other words, if we are the salt of the earth, if we lose our flavor, the word there means to be foolish, to make flat and tasteless, to lose its strength. <coughs> I don't know if you've eaten things that are tasteless, but many of you probably, if you had, had COVID this year, Many of you probably lost your taste and smell. So you know what tasteless is. You know, when I was growing up, every meal, my mom's probably watching, but every meal we had a meat, a vegetable, and a potato. Every meal she would cook. And she would cook uh, boiled potatoes almost every meal. I hated boiled potatoes. And I'll tell you why I hated them. Because I, she wouldn't let me put nothing on them. I couldn't put butter on them. I couldn't put salt and pepper on them. How can you eat a potato without butter and salt and sour cream and cheese and bacon? Come on now. Praise God. Amen. Let's go eat. <laughs> you know, how can you, you know what I'm saying? But my mom gets saying, salt's bad for you. It's all bad for you. So she would never let us put anything on it. And that was the worst tasting stuff. It was tasteless. It had no taste. It was tasteless. And so the root of the word means this. It means to be insipid or lack vigor or interest. It's really apathy. So to lose your saltiness is, is, is really to lose 
vigor, energy, to lose a, uh, an interest. And so the question is this morning, as a church, we can't lose our saltiness this morning. We have to live a salt life and be salt and light to this world. And uh, we all know the difference between an abstract definition of a thing and a functional definition. If we think about it, for instance, almost every dictionary definition of a word is given to us in abstract. For instance, if you turn to the word hunger in the Webster's Dictionary, this is its definition. An uneasy sensation, occasion, occasionally, normal, normally by want of food. However, we could also define hunger functionally. We could say hunger is, one, is, is the one and a half billion people in the world who live always on the verge of starvation and who die at the rate of 15,000 daily as the result of malnutrition. The second definition is anything but abstract, and of course, it is better. In other words, in the same way in the dictionary, uh, tells us that justice is the principle of, of restitute and just dealing, dealings of men with each other. But we can also say that justice is enacting good laws, caring for the poor, raising children pop properly, and many other things. And so when we begin to think about salty, being salty, the definition of flavor and the definition of these words, it's not so much that these words are abstract, is that they're to be seen meant functionally. They're, they're to be words that are seen that, that um, in other words, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. By these definitions, Jesus was saying that while it is true that the Christian is to be poor in spirit, mournful for sin, meek, thirsty for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, and disposed to make peace, nevertheless, he has never to be these things in isolation from the, from the very real and sharply uh, antithetical world. He is to manifest those characteristics in the world. And what is more, he is to practice these things in a way that will affect the world as salt affects anything that is applied to. In other words, you're the salt of the world. It's not just the abstract definition of being poor in spirit and meek. All those things are, are good, but it's, it's to have impact in life. Salt has an impact in what it touches. Light has an impact in everything that it touches, everything that it's, that it's involved in. At the end of the 19th century, there was, these, uh, there was this feeling of confidence and optimism going into a new century. Matter of fact, um, I was reading that there was this excitement about the biological and physiological evolution would eventually solve all of man's troubles, leading to something akin to what happened in the age of the Greeks in the Golden Age. 
There were pronosticators that were saying going into the 19th century that this century would be the century where uh, inventions and answers to man's problems would be seen and known and that all men would, would begin to find peace and there would be answers to health problems. There would be answers to, to life's problems and there would be this advancement a rising upward for humanity. In other words, there would be this improvement of life that would come on the promise of the hope of these things advancing. Well, we all know the truth of that, that anytime man puts his hands on something, it never improves. It usually gets worse. And so in this series, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the Beatitudes. We're going to look at these eight principles that Jesus gives us, uh, gives us that are not just principles for life, they are a way of life. You could, you could read these in Matthew chapter 5 and, and see them, and they could be good principles that could be added to an aspect of life, but what Jesus was doing here was not giving principles of life. Jesus was giving a way of life, a way to live. He was telling us how to be salt and light. He's teaching us in these Beatitudes that if you want to have the impact that salt and light has, you have to understand that these Beatitudes have to become a way of your life, not just an ethical principle that is added to life. It has to be a way of life. In other words, Jesus is challenging anybody who wants to be a devoted follower of his, this is the standard. Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5 that if you want to be a devout follower, you want to be a disciple, he said, this is the standard. This is the standard by which you have to walk by. And if you'll walk by this standard, you will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In other words, in these eight Beatitudes, we learn to be salty. We learn to live a salt life, a life that makes a difference. And by doing that, we can become salt and light. As we, as we look at this and, and look at this page, we know that the Beatitudes, that the Sermon on the Mount was one of the great sermons ever preached. It's like 107 verses Jesus preached it on the hillside of the northern part of Galilee, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of that next week, but I want to focus this morning on verses 13 through 16, and I get this image of Jesus teaching on the side of this mountain, and the Bible said a great multitude had come. The reason there was a multitude is because Jesus, in the scriptures before, had done what? He had healed the sick. He had cast out devils. He had uh, healed the lame. And so a crowd formed and was there. But just as, and it was because they were there to get something. How many know that miracles can form a crowd, but miracles don't make disciples? Amen. Miracles are great. The supernatural is great. We should strive to see God do the supernatural in our midst. And miracles will draw crowds. But miracles don't produce disciples this morning. 
They don't produce disciples. We don't, they don't produce those who follow Jesus. But as I've poured this over in my spirit, I've asked God, Lord, as I have many times, Lord, what does it take for a city to be one? And I really believe that being salt and light is what wins a city. Salt and light is what changes people's lives. Salt and light is what makes a difference. This is the only time through the Gospels or even on the Sermon on Mount where Jesus uses a metaphor to describe believers. Jesus uses this metaphor, these two metaphors he uses, salt of the earth and light of the world. The terms mean, mean for us that we, we are to have influence and impact. Where? In the world, in the earth. It's not just to be just local, but global also. His followers are to advance the gospel, live, live like Jesus, be like Jesus, and share Jesus. How many know that's being salt and light? How many know that God wants us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? He doesn't just want us to have uh, just an impact in just our cities, but to have impact in the world also. And we do that by being like Jesus, by living like Jesus, and by sharing Jesus. I believe this is an addendum to the Great Commission. To be salt and light is an addendum to the Great Commission. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's our call. Is that not what our call is this morning? Is that not what the church's call is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every man? That the world may know that Jesus is alive and that Jesus lives this morning? Is that our function or is our function something else this morning? Are we just gathering to gather to just bring maybe words of encouragement or words of, of just hope? But there is a mandate that God has given the church. We're to go into all the world and preach the God, but we're to be salt and light to a world that is dark and dim. We're to have an influence. It means Christians will impact the world right where they are. We're first to impact the world right where we are. To live out our faith where God has planted us, where we live, where we work, where we go to school, where our social circles are. But as we do that collectively as the body of Christ, as we do that collectively as the body of Christ, we'll begin to impact the world. This can be a global impact if the world, if every Christian will learn to be salt and light where they are, we can have an impact on the whole world. The body of Christ coming together, living our faith around the world will have a, the kind of impact that we'll see that becomes an antidote, becomes the antidote of our Lord. God has given us the mandate to move out into our culture. To many Christians are content to sit on the sidelines 
and not get into the game. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Jesus is trying to get men off the sidelines and into the game. Living out their faith in such a real and tangible way, it affects the world around us, influencing our world, impacting our world. And we have to start right where we live. To many Christians, think that faith is, is, is to hold until we get to heaven rather than hold out to others while we're here on earth. It says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Have you ever heard people make this statement? They say, well, I'm a Christian, but my faith is private. You ever hear people make that statement? I've, I've witnessed to people, and they say, well, I'm a Christian, but my faith is private. I've heard I've heard. Hollywood and professional athletes say, I'm a Christian, but my faith is private. I don't put it in anybody's faith. Here's what they're really saying. What they're really saying is, I'm ashamed of who I am in Christ. What they're really saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't want anyone to notice that I'm a Christian. That's what they're really saying. And if that's your statement this morning, the truth is, you're just ashamed of who you are in Christ Jesus. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, think about it for a moment. These metaphors that Jesus used, that Jesus is using here, he's using salt and light. So you think Jesus wants you to go unnoticed? If he calls us salt and light, do you think he wants us to be unnoticed? Salt can't go unnoticed when it's flavored on food, right? Can you all taste salt? My mama used to say, you better taste it before you salt it. <laughs> you better taste it before you salt it. It didn't matter. I love salt. I put salt on everything. So it can have a bunch of salt on it, and I'll still salt it. Can light go unnoticed when it dispels darkness? It cannot. It's impossible. It's impossible. So if we're to be salt and light, it means our faith is not to be hidden our faith is not to be suppressed, but our faith is to be lived out. It's to be seen. It's to have an impact. It's to be noticed. It's to be seen. Our faith should be seen. Jesus is calling true followers of his to make a difference in our world. Not to be silent. Not to be passive. Not to be embarrassed or irrelevant in our faith. He calls us to engage in our culture, to provoke biblical values, to speak truth, to live for Jesus, to share Jesus wherever and whenever we can. That's salt and light. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount is not for the faint-hearted. Some listen to this and say, well, that's not for me. The question is, are we willing to accept the challenge to be, like, to be like Jesus in this world? I thought to myself, I thought, man, really the impact that Jesus wants us to have is that we are to live our faith out, 
Not to be ashamed of who we are, but to stand, but to stand in the midst of this world and not be silent. Make a difference. Not to be passive. Because the gospel is not irrelevant. It is relevant this morning. It can have an impact this morning. We do have biblical values, and we're to speak truth, and we're to live for Jesus, and we're to share Jesus in our world, in our life. Now, first of all, let's look at some qualities or some are some properties of salt and light so we understand why Jesus uses these metaphors to speak to us this morning. As I begin to look at this, I've always had an understanding of what salt does and how it acts, but I didn't really understand the impact of salt in our society and our culture. Matter of fact, in Jesus' day, Salt was rare and a precious commodity. Matter of fact, today we take for granted because just about every one of us have salt on our tables. But in the first century, it was rare. Matter of fact, in the first century, Roman soldiers were paid with salt and compensated with salt. It was so rare and valuable in the first century that many Roman soldiers was paid with salt. In other words... They were paid with salt. It was rare. That's how precious it was in the first century. It was a rare and precious commodity. The Latin word for salt is salarium, where we get our English word salary. It's where we get our English word salary. Have you not heard the the expressions that come out that in our society, you ever heard someone say, well, he's not worth his salt? In other words, he's not worth his pay. You heard folks say, you have to take that with a grain of salt. In other words, a small grain of salt doesn't, it isn't, isn't that important. So we have these expressions. Matter of fact, salt was considered actually sacred. Matter of fact, they believe that they believed that if you that if you it was a shameful thing for you to spill salt or to knock salt over. It was an actual shameful thing. It was desecrating that if you knock salt over. Now, here's what something's fascinating that I learned is that how many have seen the Leonardo's painting of the Last Supper? We all know that. And if you look at Judas, who is second from the right in Leonardo's painting, uh, Leonardo da Vinci painted Judas as knocking over a cellar of salt in the painting because, because it depicts, it depicts, it indicates his betrayal of something shameful. To knock over salt was, was to be shameful. And so in his painting, you'll see second from the right of Jesus that Judas is knocking over a cellar of salt. And as I read that, I thought, man, that is, that is interesting. But how many of us has knocked over our salt, the salt that the Lord has given us in our lives, 
that we are to use to be salty, that we're used to be the salt of the earth. We've knocked over the salt that the Lord has given. We have spilled out what God has put in us to be salty. In other words, modern companies that produce salt say there's 14,000 uses of salt. Did you know that? 14,000 of uses of salt. Just to name a couple, salt can raise the boiling point of water. Salt can lower the freezing point of ice. How many of you have ever made homemade ice cream? Anybody ever made homemade ice cream? Now, I'm not talking about homemade ice cream in the, in the machine. Where you plug it in and it makes homemade. I'm talking about the old crank homemade ice cream. Anybody ever watch their grandmother use, use the old crank ice cream maker? Well, many, many will take salt pellets and put it around the ice because what it does is it lowers the freezing point of the ice and makes it colder. Salt removes rust. It puts out grease fires. It makes candles not drip. It's, it, it feeds fresh-cut flowers. It treats, it treats poison ivy. Did you all know salt treats poison ivy? It treats poison ivy. It's for sore throats. There have been wars that have been fought over salt. Matter of fact, in the Civil War, the salt mines were very popular. And there was, there was always this battle between the Union and the Confederate armies that would attack salt mines of one of the others and would dismantle them. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a city in Virginia, in southeast Virginia, uh, it's called Saltville. Now, I was corrected by Virginia and said it's not Saltville, it's Saltville. <laughs> but it's spelled Saltville. So I'm going to call it Saltville. But it, it's, where, it's where there were salt mines. In 1864, the Union Army dismantled the salt mines that were there. And it, and it crippled the Confederacy. You say, well, why? Because salt was used to preserve meat and food. And it was there to cure leather to make shoes. And so they cut the salt supply, and so they were unable to feed troops and unable to make shoes. Salt has an impact in the Bible. Matter of fact, the, its ingredients in the grain offering, the Leviticus, chap, Leviticus chapter 2, uh, the children of Israel are instructed to put salt in their grain offering. Salt was also a part of the temple incense mixture. Exodus chapter 30 and verses 34 and 35 tells us that salt was to be put into the incense of the inside the temple. And so salt, the properties of salt have value. Now light, some light is visible to the human eye but there are also light that's not visible to the human eye. There's light that's only visible to some animals and insects that they can see part of the light spectrum we cannot see. Now that's interesting to know that animals can see parts of the light spectrum that we cannot see. Light is an energy beam that moves 
and wavelengths. Light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. It travels fast. It can go from the earth to the moon in 1.255 seconds. The word light is used 250 times in the word of God. It's first used in the book of Genesis when God says, let there be light. It's also used in the book of, lastly used in the book of Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And the, and the Bible says, there shall be no light in heaven, but God will give them light. The scripture tells us that God is light. That he is light. 1 John 1, 5. The Bible tells us in John 8, 22, that Jesus is the light of the world. In other words, the picture of having light in the Bible is the picture of having, is having truth. Jesus, a source of light, is truth. The pictures in Scripture of walking in darkness is the opposite of that. To have light is to have illumination, to know truth. Let me read John 3 to you. John chapter 3 and verse 19. Beginning in verse 19. John chapter 3 and verse 19 tells us this. And this is the, the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been, that they have been done in God. In other words, what we see is, is that God is light. The question is, why would Jesus use these two particular metaphors to talk about who we are and, and the mandate he has given us as believers? When we look at Matthew chapter 5, you will see as we go through these beatitudes, you will see that living out these beatitudes will produce a saltiness and a light in our lives that has an impact on the world. But why does Jesus use these two metaphors? Why is why is salt and light have does Jesus use these particular two metaphors in order to express the mandate that he has on our lives as believers? And so this morning I want to give you a couple of them. Because I believe that as the church we have a mandate. We owe this world an encounter with God. As a church, we owe this city in an encounter with God. We, we owe this region to be salt and light to a world that is dark and a world that is corrupt and corroded. But God wants us to live our lives as salt and light and to have an impact as salt and light. I want to share with you just a couple of things that salt and light have in common. That there's a commonality that they have. There's, a, there's this common thread, a few things that they have in common that we can translate into a practical ways. Number one, both salt and light are needed to sustain life. 
Both salt and light are needed to sustain life. In other words, did you know that depleted sodium levels in the human body, a, uh, a term, medical term, hyponermia, uh, can result in death. That if your salt levels are too low, you can die. That's why athletes are, are a lot required to replenish their, their sodium or their salt. You can die if your salt levels get too low. I remember a few years ago, I was, we was in the middle of a fast at our church when we was pastoring in Arkansas, but we also had a men's basketball league. And, uh, and I would referee every Monday. But uh, I had been on this fast and uh, had been on a total fast, and we were like on day 14 or 15 of this total fast, and I didn't have anybody to fill in for me to officiate or referee. So I refereed three men's basketball games after being on a, an extended fast. And what happened was my, my potassium and salt level dropped and I had to go to the hospital and spend time in a hospital getting uh, fluids because my, my potassium and sodium had dropped. If your salt levels drop, you could die. If your salt levels drop, they can die. Light, without natural light, vegetation dies. People suffer where there are low lights conditions. Did you know that there's a condition called SAD? It's called seasonal affective disorder. And it's, and it's this, it's that when people are not exposed or have low light conditions. There are some people who live in wintry climates, dark climates. There are times in places like Alaska where, the, where there are, they go a couple of months without daylight. People have to sit under lamps. And so they become depressed if they're not have enough light. There's this disorder that they have. Thus, as salt and light is necessary for the elements of life, we should be offering life-giving hope to a corrupt and dying world. In other words, as the church, as this church, we should be salt and light to a world and offering life-giving hope to a corrupt world, a dark world, a world that is dying, salt and light are life-sustaining hope to a lost world. Philippians 2 tells us that our light is the shine. Paul said our light is the shine that to help people see and know what true life is. That as our light shines, people see true life. They see life in us. They see hope in us. Salt and light is to allow us that a world that is dark and corrupt may see Jesus inside of us, may see the light inside of us, and being salt of the earth and light of the world is that the salt brings preservation to life and the light brings truth into the heart of mankind. 
Do you all believe we should be salt and light this morning? John 10.10 says, I've come to give you life, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've come that you might have life and to have that life more abundantly. Now, life has one definition in the English, but in the Greek, there are two definitions for the word life here that is mentioned in John 10.10. In the original Greek, there's bios, which means biology, where we get the word biology, the study of the physical uh, or the natural life. And then there's zoe, which is spiritual, eternal life. In other words, the word that is used here is not bios or biology life. The word that is used here is zoe, which is spiritual life. Life that transcends the physical. It's essential in who we are. In other words, Jesus said, I come to give you life. I came to give you zoe life. I came to give you eternal life. Life that is not known in this world, but in the world to come. How many know one day the bios life dies, but the Zoe lives forever? How many know your eternal state will live forever? There's one day that this body will die. Your bios life will die, but your eternal life will live on. And we should all be ready. I remember years ago when I was pastoring in Tennessee that I, at times, a pastor friend of mine had got me to fill in for him when he was, uh, he was a chaplain of the police department. And so when he was gone or out of town or when he was gone, he asked me if I would fill in as a chaplain if the police department ever needed it. And so I remember on one afternoon, one, one Saturday afternoon, I get a call and it's the sheriff and he said, hey, I need you to come down where I am on a death call. And uh, there's a lady here that needs a chaplain. And so I went down there, and, and when I got there, the sheriff was there. He said, look, he said, what happened is, is we, somebody found this young man. He was 35 years old. They found him dead in his apartment. And as we were here, all of a sudden, his mother shows up unannounced. She had no idea what was happening. And they had to tell, they had to tell his mother that he had passed. And of course she, you know, you could imagine what that was like. And, uh, and so I went over, uh, this woman was sitting, actually sitting on the curb and she was just sobbing. She was weeping. And I went over and sat next to her and, and I just, I prayed for her and read some scriptures with her. And, uh, but I'll never forget what she said. I'll never forget it. She was sobbing. Every once in a while, she'd, she'd lift her hands and she'd say, Lord, she'd say, you're my father and you're my daddy. And she says, I'm not mad at you because you gave me 35 great years with my son. And she says, but I know this, I will see him again one day. What was she describing? Not the bias, but she was describing life, eternal life. God wants no man to perish in eternity, but that all men would come to the knowledge of Christ and life in Jesus. Salt and light, salt and light are needed to sustain life. 
Vegetation needs it. They're needed to sustain life. Number two, both have purifying, healing qualities that are beneficial to our health and well-being. Salt can be an antiseptic or that we can put in the wound. It can slow the growth of that bacteria. Light in itself is a good disinfectant. It can be used to kill bacteria and germs and even viruses. Dr. Timothy Moley said that ultraviolet light technology is the wave of the future. It's been around for 100 years. It can kill viruses. It can kill uh, multiple types of, uh, of uh, germs. Matter of fact, in New York City, Metro New York City, they are using ultraviolet light technology to fight the coronavirus. So salt and light, not only do they give life, but they also have purifying, healing qualities. You know what's an interesting passage of Scripture? In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, verse 4, Ezekiel talks about babies that are born, that are coated in salt, that the children of Israel would coat their children when they were born in salt as an antiseptic, as a, uh, to germs and to to diseases or bacteria, they would, they would uh, put that salt on that child and, and it would protect that salt. Our world, we live in a world that is a system that has been infected, a corrupt culture. And so because of that, and we are salt and light, our lives should be that which has the ability to purify and have healing qualities that shall change people's lives. When we stand for righteousness, it purifies and has a purifying effect. When we promote biblical values, it has a purifying effect. When we humble and pray, it has a healing effect on our nation. That's what 2 Chronicles 7.14 is about. All humanity has a contagious sin. All are dying. And the remedy is Jesus. The world gets healed when we share Jesus. The world gets healed there's a purifying quality about believers when we are salt and light in this world. We have the ability when we promote biblical values, when we stand for righteousness in a community, we have the ability to bring healing to an area and to purify a region and an area. Why? Because we live in a world that is, its system is infected. But we as the church have the ability to change life. See, our call this morning is to be salt and light. Our call this morning is to come off the sidelines. Come off the sidelines of just being a nominal church in a great community 
and just be in a building that people pass occasionally and that you visit on Sunday. I believe God wants us to be salt and light, that we have an impact on our region, in our area, that we bring healing to people's hearts. We bring purification to the lives of our city. We're not going to let our children die. We're not going to let our city go to hell in a handbasket. But that we raise up and become salt and light and move out of the pew and into a culture that is infected and diseased with a, with a world that's dying. That's what God is calling us to. That is what God is calling us to. It means that these ministries that we have, that we reach out with, that we should be a part of them, we should support them, we should, we should do whatever it takes so that they're able to do what they're called to do. We're getting ready to introduce a couple new ministries this fall. We're going to have a ministry on campus here of discipling uh, former drug addicts. Hey, where are they to go? They get out of jail, they get released in society, they have no money, they have no disciplines in their life, they have no, usually they burned every bridge in their family that they burned or they wouldn't be where they are. But who's going to help them? You think the world's going to help them? The church has to. Where's the church? Where is the salt and the light? Where is the church? Where are we? And we cannot, listen, we, we've done many great things here. I mean, God has opened the door for us to do a lot of things over the years. But we cannot back up and get complacent where we are right now. We cannot just say, well, we did that in the past, and that was good enough. We're just going to be who we are right now. We're going to sing a few songs. We're going to gather together on Sunday. We're going to, no, we have to reach out into a world and be salt and light to preserve lives that are dying. I mean, do you all believe that this morning? I mean, do you really believe that? Which means it takes, it takes cooperation. It takes sacrifice. It takes financial responsibility. It takes, listen, you know, you can't do these things unless people are on board to go and to do. I don't know. I hope you're with it this morning. Number three, salt is needed to sustain life. Light is needed to sustain life. Both have purifying and healing qualities. But here's my favorite, number three. Salt and light both have penetrating properties. They both have penetrating properties. You say, well, what do you mean like, by that? Salt penetrates food and gives it its flavor. 
right? Light penetrates the darkness and makes it bright. Both invade space that they're introduced to. In other words, what are you saying? Salt and life will invade whatever it's introduced to. In other words, if you're living a life, if you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, whenever you walk into a room, you're invading that room with the presence of God. You're invading that room with healing properties. You're invading that room with life. You're invading that room with healing properties and you're exposing darkness and bringing those things into the light. The light of Jesus is seen through you. There's an invasion taking place when you show up if you are truly salt and light. In other words, when we read when salt and light are intrusive, we can't mistake it for it's nothing that is passive or neutral. Its natural properties go to work and result in change. When salt and life, light is introduced into an environment, its natural properties will produce immediate change when it shows up. There's change. How many know you're in a dark room and the light comes on? How many know that it invades that room? There's immediate change in that room. When you add salt to food or to a wound or to whatever, there's immediate change that happens. I believe God can make us as believers. We can change the flavor of this world. We can be a flavor that has an impact that everything we touch. We can brighten up and bring truth to even the darkest situations of life. I believe this. I believe believers. I believe believers should run for office. I believe believers should be on city council. I believe believers should be leading school boards and being at city meetings and, and taking elected offices as sheriffs. You know why? Because I believe this, I believe as salt and light, we have the ability to bring truth into a situation where there may not be truth. In other words, to infect by penetrating our culture. I was reading a quote by John Stout. John Stout is a theologian. He died in 2011. But on this passage of scripture, this is what he wrote. I'm paraphrasing. He says, if the house is dark at night, don't blame the house because the sun has gone down. Where is the light? If meat goes bad, don't blame the meat that the bacteria breed it unchecked. The question is, not what's wrong with the house or what's wrong with the meat. The question is, where is the light and where is the salt? Darkness is a result of society left to itself. Human evil, unchecked and, and uncontained, will run rampant. 
The question is, where is the church? I mean, we get upset about what's happening in our society, and we read the crazy, it gets crazier and crazier every week. In the news, there's something nuttier. The question, you can't blame the darkness for the darkness. The darkness will always lead the darkness. Evil will always be in the heart of men. The question is, where is the light and where is the salt? The question is, where's the church this morning? Where is the church? And we complain about officials we elect, but we don't vote. We sit back and do nothing. And then we complain about them. It's dark because we allow it to be dark. But it's time that we stand up and say, hey, we are going to impact our world. We're going to have an influence on our world. We're going to be salt. We're going to preserve what's right. We're going to purify what's been wounded. We're going to bring truth to where light needs to be brought. And say that we're going to make a commitment to be a church of salt and light. A church that lives being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You know, I... I think that's a legitimate question this morning. Jesus tells us that we'll be ineffective if we lose our saltiness. If we hide our light. Here's the problem. The problem is apathy. The problem is apathy. To lose its flavor. It means... As I read that definition to you, it means to be, it, let me read it to you again. It means to be, it means to be foolish, to make flat or tasteless. It means a loss of strength, to become insipid. It means lacking vigor or interest. I believe this. I believe we have lost, we have lost our passion for souls. I know, I'm not, I'm not going to get no amens, but that's all right. But the truth is, we've lost our passion for souls. We've lost our passion to go after the lost. And what's happened is we become insipid. We become, we've had lack of interest. We've had this lack of, of even caring, maybe. Jesus says that when that happens, when salt loses its flavor, it's cast out and it's trampled upon by men. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why the governments have been so easily to override and to overcome churches in this hour. Maybe it's why it's been so easy for government to dictate to the body of Christ what they are and what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. Maybe that's why churches have backed down because we've lost the energy and the strength to be salt and light. To be influential, 
to stand for moral, biblical righteousness. But I don't know about you this morning, but I don't want to be, I want to represent him in the world. And I probably have a long way to go before I'm perfectly salt and light. But hey, I'm going to work toward it. I'm going to move that way. I believe we have to lay some things aside. Personal preferences. Lay some things aside. We have to relinquish religion and get rid of things that become hindrances to us. And to step in and live by faith and walk by faith. Trust God. Release people into their callings and ministries and not let people just sit and not do anything. At very least, you can pray. Are you all with me this morning? There are two ways salt loses its flavor. Two ways. Stand with me if you would. Celine, would you come this morning? Two ways salt loses its flavor. This is a challenge to you this morning. Two ways salt loses its flavor. It loses its flavor two ways. One is I've often wondered if salt goes bad. Now your table salt at home after a period of time probably would go bad because it has impurities that are mixed in it. It has additives in it. So when salt has additives in it, impurities in it, it'll go bad. If we are the salt of the earth, if we allow impurities into our lives, our salt will go bad. Our salt will eventually go bad. Why? Because we have allowed that which brings defect to it into our lives. We can't allow defects into our lives. We can't allow impurities to get in the middle of our hearts. To remain pure, we have to make sure that we keep our salt, our salt life pure. The other thing that brings, that ruins the flavor of salt is humidity. Y'all ever seen salt that is set in humidity? What happens to it? The moisture gets into the grains of salt, and that salt becomes what? That's right. And, and, and it's not good for anything. You know what that speaks to? It speaks to atmosphere. What atmosphere we allow our lives to be in. If, if salt is not kept in the right atmosphere, it can be tainted. So salt life this morning. How's your salt life? Are you salty this morning? Are you salt and light? Have you been everything that Jesus has asked you to be? 
Listen, I don't think we've been everything that Jesus has asked us to be as a church. Matter of fact, I think here lately, we've gotten a little bit lazy. But hey, it's time to be salt and light again. Come on, it's time to be everything God's called us to be. Time to push it and to go. It's time to go after it. It's time to be salt and light. It's time to stay salty. When I was in high school, I used to run. And uh, we had a dog. We had a family dog. His name was Taka. Taco. And, uh, and I used to run. And when I come back from running, that crazy dog would want to lick my legs and my arms. And I'm like, why is that stupid dog licking on me like that? I mean, I don't like a dog licking on me. My wife can, but my dog can't. <laughs> but I finally realized, duh, why he was doing it. That dog was licking the salt off of my sweaty legs and my arms. I thought the dog liked me. <laughs> he was just going after the salt. time to make a decision this morning. That we're going to be salt and light. We're going to talk about the next couple weeks. What's that mean? What does Jesus mean in the Beatitudes? It's a high standard. The crowd was there, but Jesus was speaking to the disciples. The Bible said he sat down upon a mountain. And it said, and he drew and brought his disciples to him and began to speak to them, even though the crowd was there. Crowds aren't interested in being disciples. But Jesus was telling each disciple, You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He will put things in you that will bring healing properties to your life that will change the world. The scripture the Lord gave me in 2014 when he spoke to me that a city can be won is found in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 2. It's the story of Elisha after Elijah had been taken up in the whirlwind and he had picked up Elisha's cloak. The scripture said the first city he came to was the city of Jericho and the men met him outside the city. And they said to him, they said, told Elijah, they said, the water of this city is bad. The water of the city is bad. It's not good for Growth, it's not good for, I mean, the whole city was being, was infected by this bad water. Literally, it was causing miscarriages and death 
vegetation couldn't grow. And you all know what Elisha did? Elijah said, get me a bowl and bring me some salt. And he took the salt, and the Bible says he went to the source of the water, and he threw that salt into the water. And as he threw the salt into the water, his first miracle happened. And the city, the city, the water of that city became pure. I love what the Bible says. It says, and it is even pure, even unto this day. If you go there, there's a fountain that's there. It's pouring out of the rock source there. And you can take a drink out of it. It's called Elisha's, it's called Elisha's well. You can drink the water. This is a simple call this morning. If you if you want to be salt and light this morning, I just want you to join me down here at this altar and pray with me. As we make a fresh commitment to be salt and light into this world. Just join me down here. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I've not been as salty as I should be. I've not been the light I should be. I've not been... There's areas where I've allowed my salt not to have the effect that it should. Hallelujah. Salt life. Hallelujah. Jesus. You know what happens to the human body if we don't perspire? When the human body doesn't perspire like it should, we become... We retain water, right? Anybody ever had grandparents or family that they needed a fluid pill, right? I got to take my fluid pill. Because they retain water. They become swollen. I mean, that's how the church is. I mean, we retain water. We don't perspire. We don't, we, we're, not, we're just retaining water. Because we're not releasing salt. We're not releasing salt. We're not perspiring like we should be perspiring in the work of the Lord. Salt and light. Salt and light. Hallelujah. Put your hands on your heart this morning. You know, this is just a simple message this morning. It's just a simple message. We need to call each other to a higher standard. We need to call each other to a higher purpose. We have a world that's dying. We have a city that's dying. We have people who need Christ. And we have to step out of where we are. And we've got to be salt and light. We got to, we're going to push that. We're going to go for that. And, I, and I'll just be honest with you this morning. If that's not what you want to do, 
then I know there's plenty of churches around here where you can sing a few songs and read a Bible reading and go home and not have to worry about being challenged to make an impact in the world. But I'm not going to let you get away with that. I want to push you. We have a world that needs Jesus. Do you hear me? I said we have a world that needs Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father, we put our hands on our heart because we know that that is the seat of our will. It's the seat of our will, our soul. It's the the guidepost to our soul. So God, we pray this morning. God, I, I just, I don't know how to... I just can't be just a motivator this morning. You're going to have to put that spirit in us. You're going to have to put that into the the heart of every person that's here this morning. This desire to be salt and light into a world that needs help. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening.